Dr. Anne-Marie Vaughn had two challenges as she progressed through student leadership at Memorial University in her home province of Newfoundland. Not only was she female, but Anne-Marie was always the youngest. She started university at 16 and ran for student government in her third year. By the age of 21, Anne-Marie had advanced through to president of the largest student union in Atlantic Canada, only the third woman to hold that role. I was 21 years of age, and I was running a $5 million business. I had 35 full-time employees and 250 part-time employees, and I learned an awful lot from that experience. I'm a real advocate for experiential learning, for student government, for student leadership, in just throwing you into the deep end and taking on new challenges and having opportunities to lead. And certainly that was given to me. Anne-Marie is now the president of Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario, following a five-year stint as the president and CEO of Newfoundland's College of the North Atlantic. Her advice to young people, take opportunities, don't be afraid of failure and seek out mentors. The wise and insightful Dr. Anne-Marie Vaughn on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Today we're in Belleville, Ontario, where we're meeting with Dr. Anne-Marie Vaughn, president of Loyalist College. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for having us in today. Oh, thank you for the invitation, Bonnie. I really appreciate this. Well, we're really excited about it, and we might as well just get right into it. That's um, excellent. Okay. <laughs> great. So why don't we start? Just uh, tell us a bit about your background, uh, your decision to go into education, and, and kind of what led you uh, here to Loyalist. Well, I like to tell the story that education really found me. Uh, when I uh, was 16, I entered university, uh, so I was pretty young entering university. Uh, I am from Newfoundland and Labrador, so up until that point, grade 11 was entry uh, into post-secondary. So I was 16 when I entered university with the explicit intentions of becoming a lawyer. And I enrolled in political science and political philosophy as a major, doing all the right things. Uh, all my friends in my class were destined for law school. And in my third year, one of my um, uh, friends encouraged me to run for student government. And student government was really made up of individuals that weren't from the city region. They were mostly residence-based students. But nevertheless, I took the challenge and I ran and I came first in the uh, council election. Uh, and I wasn't really a well-known person to the student government. Three years later, I had become vice president and eventually president of the student union at Memorial University, uh, the largest student union in Atlantic Canada, and the third female uh, to become president of that uh, student government. And I was 21 years of age, and I was running a $5 million business. I had 35 full-time employees and 250 part-time employees, and I learned an awful lot from that experience. I'm a real advocate for experiential learning, for student government, for student leadership, in just throwing you into the deep end and taking on new challenges and having opportunities to lead. And certainly that was given to me. And so education really found me because through that whole transition, um, some of my friends went off to law school, and I thought for myself that I had found something different uh, for me. 
And uh, I later went on to do a Bachelor of Education uh, and uh, a Master of Arts in higher education and eventually a doctorate in higher education, all in the field, at three different institutions. So I started at Memorial University. I went to the University of British Columbia uh, and eventually to the uh, University of Calgary for my uh, doctorate. Uh, my career has taken me to three institutions, uh, working professionally at Memorial, uh, working as president of College of the North Atlantic, and now working as president of Loyalist College uh, in Ontario. So I've been really blessed, and it all comes back to me taking a curve in the road at the time and not being um, as um, so focused that I, f- that I didn't see for myself that there was another love that was waiting for me. So ability to change your mind. Ability right. to change my mind. And I still think, you know, I, I, I have a bit of a lens for, for legal matters and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm um, quite detailed sometimes in my thinking. But, and some of that comes from my political science um, uh, studying and understanding government and how it acts and, and thinks and how public opinion is shaped and formed uh, is critical to working in the public sector. And so that really has been core to me. So instead of going into law school, I used my political science background as the lens for how I did my master's thesis and the lens for which I did my doctorate. So my master's thesis was on how universities are funded in Canada, and my doctorate was on public policy and how public policy is formed. So I used the building blocks I had along the way, but I think the most important thing for me on reflection is that um, I took that that curve, it sent me in a completely different direction, and I love the direction that it sent me in. You know, that's a, a good piece of advice to people, to not be so uh, kind of focused in that they don't think about other opportunities that might just be on the peripheral. Yeah, I always say that to students when I, I, when I speak to graduation is, you know, don't always think see that linear path. Take those curves along the way, because the curves can really be what makes life really rewarding. And uh, instead of being so focused that I have to get from here to A, from A to B, you know, there may be an A part one, A part two, A part three, uh, as you get to B, uh, wherever that might be for you. But those curves along the way, I think, are are um, really uh, fortunate opportunities to take. Mm-hmm. Some of them work out, some of them don't, uh, but you learn along the way as well. Absolutely. Um, so I'd be interested. So you know, many senior positions in education are still largely held by men. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you were kind of coming up through, uh, how, how did you ensure that you always had a voice at the table and that, uh, and has that affected the way that you lead? Oh, absolutely. And for me, it was two things. It was being female, but always being the youngest. So as I mentioned, I was 16. I was 21 as president of the student union, probably the youngest president in the country at the time. Uh, I was the first female to be elected uh, head of the Newfoundland Labrador Federation of Students, and I was on the Canadian Federation of Students uh, executive at the time, too. So I learned an awful lot from that experience, and I learned a lot about um, how to make your voice uh, heard. I think I've matured a lot over over time as well. Um, But one of the big transitions for me is going from a student leader on a national scale to being a professional working in the field. And in many cases, having to interact with people 
that I might have challenged as a student leader. So, you know, you, you sometimes challenge administration when you're a student leader, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting at the table with, with administrators and having to change their perception of me um, as being a, a professional in the field uh, and, not, uh, and, and taking on a new role within it. So that, there were two things I challenged. One, that I was much younger than most of the people in my field. And second, that here I was a female. When I joined the deans and directors group at Memorial, I think I was... 32. And I remember I had to fill out a survey at the time and they were doing a survey across the institution and you had to say what group you were in. And then they asked for our gender and age. And I remember phoning the surveyor saying, well, why don't I just put my name on it? Because I'm the only female and I'm certainly the only female under 40. So I, I understood uh, both of those challenges. It's, it's a challenge when you're young trying to, trying to lead. And it's particularly a challenge when you're a woman. So for me, um, I'm always uh, ensure that when I hear a female voice in the room, um, that I make sure that that's heard. So sometimes a female voice can get lost in a crowd. And when I hear a female in a meeting or a board meeting, I'm always um, trying to make a point of acknowledging what they've said. So I might say to the chair, I just want to support or extend what this individual had said. So then I'm sure that a female voice uh, gets... Um, uh, gets uh, gets its its time and its attention. I understand and appreciate. I think very um, well that gen- gender diversity uh, is extremely important to decision making uh, in our role. But I also think that that uh, opportunity has also opened my eye my eyes to total inclusiveness to ensure that uh, we are inclusive of international uh, voices of indigenous voices and and other voices that need to be hear- heard for clarity and decision making so I think the opportunities that I have had um, and I should say that uh, and maybe we can talk about that after is kind of my high school experience that I think prepared me as well for a lot of this um, it allows me, I think, to think more inclusively, which makes decision-making, I think, even even better. And I, draw, I strive for that in everything that I do. And, uh, and I'm very pointed at seeing student leaders, and particularly uh, women who want to take on student leadership roles. And uh, I've, I've really taken a, a personal attention to that through my career, and I know that I have a responsibility to give back. I know there's many people that open doors for me and that I have that responsibility to give that back to those that provided that opportunity to me. So let's actually, let's talk a, a little bit about that and mentorship and, mm-hmm. and kind of the, um, the role it has played in your mm-hmm. own career and now um, how you see it playing in, in your life today. I've had some incredible mentors along the way, and sometimes you don't even realize they're a mentor when, when they are. I think that's an important thing for uh, to acknowledge here. Uh, when I was in high school, I was fortunate. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, uh, and it was run by the Sisters of Mercy and the Presentation Sisters. But one of the things, it was 1,500 girls, and one of the things that instilled in me is that women can do whatever they want to do. And uh, I was encouraged to be involved in public speaking and debating. And it really built my personal confidence of being involved in things like that. I was very involved in music. And I was really uh, instilled in me at a young age the ability to multitask. I was in figure skating. I was studying. I was in public speaking. I was singing. Um, that made me, I think, 
multitasking for me, which is an important role, I think, of leaders, just became natural for me because I started at such a young age, and I built that resiliency over time. So my earliest mentors were teachers that I had that really encouraged me to do that. And I remember a grade 6 teacher I had, uh, Phyllis Singleton, and I remember my grade 11 uh, teacher, Patricia Donnelly in particular, who reached out to me and encouraged me to be involved in those uh, activities and really embraced that opportunity for me. My father was my youngest uh, mentor, and uh, my father grew up in a a family of seven boys. His mother died when he was a teenager, and uh, he had two girls, myself and my sister. And I remember him quite clearly uh, believing that his daughters could achieve whatever they wanted to do. And so I was very fortunate at a very young age to have a father who really thought more widely about the world. Uh, He was dedicated to public service himself. My mother was a teacher, uh, so both engaged in that. So my father was my first mentor when I reflect on this. Then I had teachers, and then I had professional mentors. My first job, um, and I was, I think, 23, when I went to work at the Marine Institute, and I was working for um, a man uh, there who I quickly realized was extremely smart, very capable, very strategic, and I worked extremely hard to learn from him. I spent 10 years, I think, treating myself as an apprentice, uh, working with him and learning from him. And that situated me, I think, for the careers I had later. My first job was working in strategic planning uh, at a marine technical institute, so it forced me to think widely about the institution. When you're doing planning, you think widely. And so I've been able to use that to sort of move myself along in my career, moving to the St. John's campus of Memorial, leading its distance education uh, unit, which is extremely important in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, and then moving from that to College of the North Atlantic and now into the Ontario college system. I think along the way for me, mentors have really opened that. I've I've sought them out. I've realized when I had them. I didn't initially, but as later in my career, I've uh, been quite deliberate in understanding who are really good mentors for you. And then you can continuously learn. Even at this point in my career, I have colleagues that I really I rely on, on my mentors as my mentors, and I really watch them and the leadership that they show and uh, think about ways in which I can improve my leadership as a result of that. So I don't think mentoring ever uh, ends for you. I, I would hope for me, it never does. Um, but uh, at the beginning, I don't think I was conscious of getting it when I did. But later in life, I deliberately set out to find it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I think uh, mentorship is something that carries through your whole mm-hmm. life. If you if you want to continue growing, continue mm-hmm. learning, there's always someone that you can look up to for, Absolutely. for inspiration yeah. or for guidance, yeah. for sure. Um, so I think I've, I've got a bit of sense of, of your uh, of your style and mm-hmm. maybe even what your leadership style looks like. But I'd love to understand from your perspective, what do, you, what do you think it means to be an authentic leader? Well, first and foremost, it means being true to yourself. I, I don't think you can act um, something that you're not. I, I don't think I think people are uh, quick studies of that. And uh, and so you have to uh, be true to who you are and true to your own principles and values. At the same time, allowing them to be challenged. And I have to tell you, there's many times that my values and principles have been challenged along the way. Um, many times I have said steadfast fast in those. Sometimes I've broadened them, though, to think a little differently that uh, perhaps has um, improved 
the way in which I see the world. And I've had many international opportunities. For example, I've worked in the Philippines and Thailand and Vietnam, and, and, and I've been challenged to think differently about how those worlds operate. I've done a lot of work in the Middle East. It's challenged the whole way in which I think about that region. So I think that life experience has allowed me to challenge, but I still stay core uh, to my uh, my core principles. Yeah, so I guess it's having having your principles and your values, but also being open enough to to see if they flex or change as you progress within your own career. Absolutely. I think leadership is a lot about fit. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just a fit for the organization for you, but it's you for the organization, right? It's a two-way fit. And and in being authentic to yourself, uh, you really need to be conscious of, of ensuring that fit is right. And uh, for me, I've been very lucky, and particularly at Loyalist College. I have never worked anywhere uh, where I have seen the focus on student success as strong as I've seen here at Loyalist College. And for that reason, I know that this is a perfect fit for me because it's so core to how I think and, and act. And the other thing that I would say is that I am very deliberate on the fact that family is very important to me. And so I instill that belief as well, that family is important, whether it's your family or if it's parent or if it's uh, uh, animals that you that you have or outside activities that you enjoy. Um, life is more than work. And having that balance and also appreciating, valuing what's important to the people around you is critical, I think, about leadership. And for me, I'm quite clear that family is central to who I am. Yeah, that's... I mean, family is so important. Mm-hmm. I think that's great that you bring that, and, and it probably is reflective in, mm-hmm. in everything that you do. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, young women uh, coming mm-hmm. up. How do you think we encourage them, you know, to, to follow what it is they want to do and have the courage and confidence to stand up for what they believe? Well, I'm the mother of a soon-to-be teenage daughter in August, so um, I practice that every day, I think, and I hope. Um, I try to instill in her resiliency. I think that's critical for leadership. It doesn't make a difference, female or male, or, or uh, what position you're in. Resiliency is critical uh, just to uh, being able to lead and, and sometimes survive as a leader. Um, so I, I think it's important to allow um, young people to be exposed to decision-making, to feel that they're part of the process of decision-making. Um, higher education is a great example of that. We have students on our board. We have uh, class leaders. We have student government. And students are really part of the decision-making process at Loyalist College. And the more opportunities you provide for that, the more opportunities for leadership that you are providing at a very young age. And that's a, an opportunity for people to take risks, to experience failure, uh, but to learn from it and, and move on and um, and I've seen some incredible leadership here at Loyalist College. So for young women, I think it's important to give them the opportunity to lead, uh, to have them understand and give them a voice, uh, for them to acknowledge and celebrate their successes uh, with them, um, and to educate and to build leaders and resiliency in our leadership. And I think that's even more important uh, today. I try my best to make sure as a parent, for example, that uh, my daughter is her own advocate, um, 
that uh, she's involved in activities that build her resiliency. She's refereeing soccer this summer for under eight boys and girls. Um, so she's experiencing the decision making that you have to make, the role of a of a referee in uh, in a game. Um, she's a figure skater, so she she sets her own goals there. She's involved in music. Um, she pursues a lot of interest in science. So I try to make sure that I give her the pathways to do whatever she wants to do and encourage her to be diverse in the way in which she thinks about what those opportunities can be. Because for me, as I mentioned at the beginning, education found me. And it's because I wasn't, I just kind of pursued something at the time. So I think the more opportunities we open to young people, the more they'll find the fit for them. And I think they really will find the fit for them. And that's what higher education is about. And if you watch Loyalist College in the next number of years. I mean, we're really going to be driving on the student experience and providing opportunities for students to lead and acknowledging that while at the same time acknowledging that they need to have care for their health and wellness. Uh, they need, they have a social responsibility in life, uh, that they have indigenous uh, sensitivity and cultural awareness. All these things that we think that are important to our graduate attributes uh, to our graduates that we want to instill in our graduates that are important for leadership males or females. Uh, and as a, a, someone who is particularly focused on females, I like to find those opportunities for young women uh, to be able to succeed uh, in many of these areas as well. That's great. And this is kind of a, it's our last question for you and mm-hmm. kind of a tie-in to the one before, but, uh, you know, what kind of advice would you give a young, young woman who's just, who's just starting, or young people actually, even in general, mm-hmm. who are just starting out? Well, first of all, I tell all our graduates, as I said at the beginning, is take those curves along the way. Explore everything that life holds holds for you. If there's a sailing camp going on in the summer and you've never sailed, but you have a general interest in it, try it out. Um, if there's an opportunity for you to lead in a, a religious organization, if there's an opportunity for you to lead in school, if there's an opportunity for you uh, to lead in a social organization that you're a part of, take that opportunity uh, because you never know what you're going to really find in life that you really love. And when you think about occupations growth, so when I was, you know, entering post-secondary, there thankfully were a lot of occupations open to women. When my mother entered, most women became teachers or nurses, and and my mother was an exceptional teacher. Her twin sister was an exceptional nurse. Um, and, um, And for me, I had many more options. But when you think about today's youth, They have so many options, so many occupations that we haven't even thought of before that we really need young people to be adaptable, to be resilient, to try new things. Because in many of those things, in many of those curves is where they're really going to find what they love and it's really what we're going to find where they can really contribute uh, to our society. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing would be learn to multitask in leadership in particular, you have to be comfortable with the fact that daily you will get curves along that way. When you come in in the morning and you leave in the evening, there are certain things that you set up to do yourself, but you may at any point in time be taken on a a journey or a curve or something may happen in that day. So being able to multitask, but at the same time stay focused on your key goal, I think is a critical part of leadership. Build resiliency in yourself. Don't be afraid of failure because everybody fails. It's, it's human nature. We all fail. Uh, but to reflect on that and learn from it 
and then take that to that learning to your next decision. I guarantee you, you will be build resilience along the way, and you'll become a better decision maker and leader as a result of it. Don't lose, lose sight of what's important to you and seek and find mentors. I've been very lucky. I have a, a, a large network because of the things I've been involved in. That's the other value of having so many different interests. You build a real network of people that you can celebrate and you watch as they lead and grow. When I'm watching some of the women that I was involved with in student politics become some of the most senior people in the business world in this country, to be active um, uh, political leaders. Uh, one of them who was uh, someone who I really valued as a, as a professional when I was an undergraduate student is now the lieutenant governor of my home province. So I watch these women, and I've admired them, and uh, they're part of my network. And I celebrate their success along the way because I know they celebrate mine. And then finally, as all of us in my age group, we have a duty and a responsibility for those that follow us. I take that very seriously. Um, I know that I'm, I have a unique opportunity in the field I am in higher education uh, to allow that to be instilled even more. And I take that very seriously that we're building tomorrow's leaders. Uh, and for me as a woman, I'm, I'm building uh, in particular um, uh, female leaders for tomorrow. And it's an exciting place to be. I've chosen the right career path for me. And it's brought me an awful lot of benefits in life as a result of it. Emery, I just want to thank you so much for uh, welcoming us into your school, for <laughs> meeting with us, and for taking the time. Uh, thank you so much for being on an episode. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. I really appreciate it. I'm very flattered that you reached out to me to be a part of this. Thank you. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak and music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Dr. Marlene Bagato is an audiologist at Western University in London, Ontario, where she spends most of her time in the Child Amplification Lab. Dr. Bagato's specific research is focused on fitting babies for hearing aids, something she says needs to be done as soon as possible after a problem is detected. Find out why. Dr. Marlene Bagato on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.